This is Window on the East, a podcast from BNE IntelliNews. Subscribe at bne.eu. Hello and welcome to Window on the East with me, Ben Aris, the editor of BNE IntelliNews. Belarusian President Alexander Lukashenko is facing his most serious challenge in his 26 years of rule. Protests have swept the country and three credible candidates have emerged to stand against him in the August 9th presidential elections. He responded by cracking down. Two of those candidates have been arrested and are now in jail and the third one has already been excluded from the race. Given his firm grip on power, nobody's expecting a Maidan-style revolution in Minsk and Lukashenko is almost certain to be re-elected. I spoke to political analyst Alexander Kocharov, who's with IHS Global, about what's in store. Alex, welcome. Nice to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So, very dramatic events going on in Minsk over the last two weeks, um, which really came to, I mean, there was these, well, it came to a head when um, the prospective opposition candidates who would like to run in August 9th presidential election against Lukashenko, the incumbent president, um, they managed to gather, gather hundreds of thousands of signatures. And then from June 18th, they started getting arrested. Uh, this time, the last I understood is that um, only one of them, uh, Tsep Kala, has been actually barred from the race uh, by having too many signatures disqualified. But the, the other two um, are still in the race. Their signatures have been accepted, but they're both in jail. Um, is, is that right? Um, no, it is not. Uh, so there are still two genuine opposition candidates uh, who are still in the race. One of them is in, in prison, uh, in jail. Uh, it's Viktor Babarika, a former banker, who quit his very lucrative banking job in order to run for presidency. Uh, the other person who is not in jail is Svetlana Tikhanovskaya. She is the wife of prominent blogger, uh, Sergei Tsikhanovsky, who was arrested at the end of May, 29th of May in Grodno during a rally for his wife. Um, and uh, he has been uh, behind bars uh, since. Um, and he's uh, actually been disqualified before he started, which is why his wife is running yes, in his place. Yes, that, that's exactly the reason. Uh, because he was, uh, when they were initially planning his campaign, and he's quite prominent in Belarus, uh, he was temporarily arrested on administrative charges for 15 days, uh, and so he couldn't physically sign the documents, and it was a way to disqualify him from running. But his wife decided to run instead, and she's still in the race for now. She was threatened, actually, with having her children taken away, and she released that video um, where she suggested that she might not run, but I understand that uh, she talked to her friends and that they changed their mind and that she decided to go for it anyway? Um, there were reports that uh, she received a threat uh, about the well-being of her uh, children, uh, and I understand that you know, uh, there, there would be pressures against her used in order to um, uh, to make her step down from the campaign. Um, also, I think what is telling is that a couple of days ago, uh, the officials released a video of her husband, uh, who appears to have lost quite a bit of weight uh, while being um, imprisoned. Uh, and right. 
probably a way to, you know, to influence her decision-making um, to make sure that uh, she actually steps down. But um, the Central Election Committee um, and the, the regional offices, um, all, all of the signatures on the petition, you have to get at least 100,000, and all of the candidates did. And in uh, Babarico's case, he actually got 400,000 plus. Um, and I saw a list that they, they seem to have accepted everybody's um, signatures, which means that they've actually been accepted to run in the election. So we've got two opposition oh. leaders, Svetlana and Babarico, who are going to run against Lukashenko. Is that confirmed or is there still uh, no, it's more not, to go? No, it's not finalized. So they have, been, they have been qualified on the basis of the number of sufficient signatures. But for instance, in case of Babarico, uh, a very large proportion of those signatures were found as uh, invalid and they were removed, but he still had sufficient number. I think yeah, he started off with 425, and I think he ended with 140 or something. But yeah, so, so about, about 200,000 were disqualified, but still mm. he qualified on the basis of signatures, and so did Tsikhanovska. But it doesn't automatically mean that they will be, um, they will be uh, allowed to run and they will be actually in the ballot, uh, because there are also other barriers, procedural barriers, such as... Uh, the declaration of income and uh, property. And if, for instance, uh, any discrepancies would be found on, on those, uh, they could be disqualified based on these procedural grounds. And I think this is exactly what will happen to application of uh, Babarika, that he will not be on the ballot. But I think what the Central Election Committee Commission is trying to do is not to have both Tepkalo and Babarika disqualified on the same day, in order to avoid a protest gathering. Mm. Uh, they decided to, to move these dates in time so that there would be less impact in terms of protest mobilization. Because Babarico is actually a wealthy man. Uh, I mean, he declared something like $800,000 of income and he's famously been buying um, a Belarusian uh, famous art, the, the, the art collection at his former bank, uh, the Bell Gazprom Bank. Um, is is very famous, and they put it on public display. But um, he's going to have problems, isn't he? Just simply because because the authorities are accusing him of of money laundering and embezzlement on a on a massive scale to the tune of something yeah. like four hundred and thirty million dollars. So, as far as income de declarations are concerned, surely he's going to have a hard time to clear that barrier. Uh, well, the the problem is not so much the fact that he's wealthy. It's you know it's known that he's wealthy. He's been in senior executive positions in the banking sector for a very long time. Uh, he was head of, uh, he was CEO of Bill Gazprom Bank for nearly 20 years. Uh, but if there would be any discrepancies found, so for instance, you know, an odd vehicle not registered or the amount of, um, the amount on the bank accounts uh, would be different to that declared in the declaration. Um, so that could disqualify him. And I think this is what, what is quite likely what will happen, that he will be disqualified because if he gets on the ballot, it would create significant uh, problems for Lukashenko because it, it would potentially create a situation where a second round of election would take place if there would be a relatively fair voting with not many uh, fraud irregularities. 
So let's talk for a second then about Lukashenko's popularity. Uh, and again, reading up and, and watching the previous elections that, you know, it's, it's a bit like Putin in so much as he has been genuinely popular because, again, like Putin, during the worst of the 90s, he managed to shelter um, the, the more vulnerable sections of society, uh, particularly the, the old age pensioners and, and the middle aged who were working in state factories from the worst ravages of the uh, the transition years. And there was this social contract, which um, is similar to others, whereby, you know, he provides low wages, but steady, and the sanitaria work, the hospitals work, education works, pensions are sufficient. But of course, that is breaking down. But going into previous elections, you know, Lukashenko could count on something on the order of 50% of the vote and be genuine winner in an election. But that's changed now, isn't it? I mean, there's this whole Sasha 3% meme where independent, you know, un unverified but selective polls have put his popularity as something on the order of 3% or in single digits, certainly. And, and um, he's in real trouble in that sense, isn't he? Uh, we obviously don't know because there is, you know, not much of uh, reliable statistical data to, uh, you know, to look into... Uh, what is happening in terms of approval or disapproval um, of uh, key Belarusian politicians, including Lukashenko. Uh, but in my view, um, there is a growing public discontent over uh, Lukashenko, and it's linked to several factors. First, there is genuine fatigue with him because he's been in place for uh, nearly 26 years. It will be 26 years uh, later in July. Uh, but also there is quite significant disappointment with the way he and his government treated the COVID-19 outbreak, mm. where there have been, where he fundamentally ignored the scientific and uh, um, healthcare professionals uh, in the treatment of this outbreak and uh, said that it's not an issue, it, it won't be a problem Belarus is the only country which didn't introduce, in Europe, which didn't introduce any um, social distancing measures. Uh, and uh, as a result, there, have been, there has been no economic support to businesses affected. Uh, because businesses were affected as people were actually reacting to what was happening. And anecdotal evidence from Minsk suggests that, uh, for instance, you know, people stopped going to places like restaurants and bars simply because people decided for a period of time to actually socially distance and yeah. spend more time at home and and try to go out less and so on and so forth. So there has been actual economic impact on the ground with many businesses closing because there was not sufficient demand, but because there were no there were no government measures to offset this. So there is growing dis discontent about this and disappointment about how this was treated, and uh, definitely... And this is, this is to unprecedented levels, though, uh, for, for Minsk, isn't it? I mean, the, the, the nationwide protests, the, the, the human chains, um, have been right across the country. Normally, protests are, are concentrated in Minsk, such as they are, but this, this time it seems that there's a, a groundswell of popular dissatisfaction. Well, we have seen protests in the regional uh, cities and towns in the past, for instance, when Lukashenko back in 2016-17 uh, was toying with an idea of introducing a tax on the, uh, the non-working people, the so-called social bonds. Uh, 
So it's not unprecedented. But again, you know, there is clear uh, discontent uh, in the air. There is clear mobilization against the president. And while I'm skeptical that uh, his actual support is 3%, but it's definitely below 50%, perhaps maybe about 20% in Minsk, because there would be, you know, a section of the population which are loyalists, which uh, work in the security services, in the police and in the government, and they would still support him. Um, and no more than 30% uh, in, you know, in the rest of Belarus. So we're talking about 20, mm. maybe 25% nationwide. Um, yeah. For the elections so, themselves, for the elections themselves, I mean, if, if we can just think of um, scenarios, it seems to me there are three possible scenarios. One where Babariko, for example, who, who is the most popular candidate, um, uh, is allowed to compete and there's a relatively open uh, election and it does go to second round. But I think even in that scenario, Lukashenko is not going to give up power, that he'll just put a fix on the vote and he'll win by some narrow majority. Then there's another scenario whereby that there's just a massive fix at the beginning and Lukashenko wins in the first round with Bavariko competing to discredit him. And the third scenario is none of those oppositions, uh, Tikhanovskaya or, or Bavariko, are allowed to compete and then there's just this, this faux um, election. I mean, which of those three scenarios do you think could happen or, or most likely to happen? Uh, we will find out soon because next week uh, the Central Electoral Commission will be finalizing um, finalizing the applications. And I think uh, everything should be finalized by 14th of July. So uh, we will find out in the, in the next two weeks on what's happening. But I think even if Babarika is allowed to, um, to run in the campaign, which I'm not sure what will happen, um, he will probably remain in prison under this criminal investigation over tax avoidance and, uh, uh, and financial fraud. And, you know, being behind bars during the electoral campaign would significantly, uh, uh, would significantly disadvantage him in terms of actually running the campaign because it would be, you know, some other people running his campaign, but he wouldn't be physically there. Um, so... I think, you know, it would it would it would definitely play against him. Uh, so Luk Lukashenko could be looking at a gamble here. He could like let him run, but hope that because he's locked up in jail and under Belarusian law, you are allowed to compete in an election from jail. Yes, yes, because you know, as long as the court didn't find you guilty right. under under criminal charges, until until you haven't been found guilty under criminal charges, you are allowed to run, and obviously. Because, you know, there's not much time left, just over a month. Uh, I don't think that uh, the, the courts will move this quickly on the Babarico case. Um, so I think uh, it's a possibility. But I think a more likely scenario is that Babarico is not on the ballot. I'm not sure about Tikhanovska. Maybe she will be. But again, through intimidation, she will be pushed out of the race and steps down herself. Um, through intimidation, such as potential threats against her and her family. And I think the most likely scenario is that we're going to have Lukashenko and a couple of candidates who are completely non-threatening to him and who do not actually enjoy public support. And it would be fundamentally a repeat of 2015 election. I think it's the most likely scenario. So assuming that happens, then uh, what are the chances of 
having um, Moscow 2011 style mass demonstrations after election that's won by Lukashenko on the because in 2011 in Moscow there was like widespread fraud and the Kremlin actually pushed it too far they fixed the vote in too blatant a way and um, that brought out hundreds of thousands of people onto the street and it ended up in Bolotnaya and sort of violent process um, people being arrested well, what's the prospect for some some sort of eruption like that in Minsk? I think that you know uh, there is a growing risk of uh, protests in Minsk and in other cities against unfair elections uh, and against you know the the results being rigged, uh, especially if there would be you know no genuine um, uh, opponents of Lukashenko allowed to run. Uh, but I think there are multiple challenges to this protest movement because many of the potential leaders of the protest are already behind bars, have been arrested, and this includes not just politicians such as Babariko, but also uh, many bloggers. Uh, in the recent days, uh, a number of bloggers who are running popular Twitter and, uh, and Telegram channels uh, have been uh, placed under uh, arrest and uh, this this will negatively impact on political mobilization of people. Mm. And opposition is likely to remain disunited, and uh, uh, this would probably push the figures down. And even if there are you know thousands of people on streets of uh, Minsk, such as was the case in December 2010, uh, I think what we're going to see is uh, police and security services using forced to disperse and detain protesters in large numbers. Uh, and uh, they have shown that they can be effective uh, doing so in the past. So I think... They've been very brutal in the past, haven't they? Uh, yes. I think we're going to see some police violence against the protesters if protests... Uh, I do not expect that there would be, you know, a repeat of Bolotna or a repeat of Maidan in Ukraine. Partly the security services in, in Belarus... Uh, tend to be very repressive in their methods, and uh, they, you know, they do not stop, uh, uh, but uh, use force to detain and disperse protesters. Mm. So, last question then. Um, I mean, assuming, uh, and this is probably the most likely scenario that that Lukashenko gets through the elections, that he wins, that he excludes or at least defeats um, the, the the genuine opposition that he was saying in a speech the other day that he was promising to bring in constitutional changes in two years' time and that he does seem to have been very rattled by this whole experience and that he is going, with this constitutional comment, that he, he's going to make some concessions. Um, do you think that's realistic? What exactly was he offering and, and will it work? Um, Lukashenko began talking about potential constitutional amendments in spring last year, so it's been over a year. We don't have any details as of yet. But I suspect that whatever constitutional amendments were to be introduced, even if the initial talk would be about, you know, um, giving some of his powers away, ultimately uh, what will happen, it would be a repeat of what happened in Russia just now, where actually the president would consolidate the power uh, and would gain... Uh, gain power over, you know, other branches of the government, including including judicial. Um, I think what Lukashenko would try to achieve with constitutional amendments is probably to uh, focus on the issue of um, 
succession because he's not getting any younger. And there are, you know, growing questions of what happens next. And this can potentially be solved through introducing of position of vice president, which Belarus doesn't have. Uh, but some of the countries, you know, of the post-Soviet region have, such as, for instance, Azerbaijan, where the position of the first vice president was given to a family member, uh, the wife of the president. Right. So I think, I think we're going to see actually stronger presidential power once constitutional amendments are approved, uh, rather than a weaker and more decentralized power. Do you think he's revving up to, to make way for one of his sons to take over? I mean, the, the two boys are getting older, but they're still very young. Well, Lukashenko has three children, two from his official marriage and one from his uh, unofficial uh, union. Um, the, uh, his favorite son is the youngest, but uh, he's only turning 16 next month. So mm. according to the constitution, there would be a very long wait for him because uh, no person can run in Belarus for presidency until the age of 35. Uh, mm. So I think, you know, the odds are that, you know, Mikolai, the youngest son, would probably not become the chosen successor anytime soon for the age reasons. But um, I think his, his eldest son, Viktor, who has been informally uh, overseeing the security services in the past, uh, in, the, in, the, in the recent years, and who is effectively one of the most influential people in Lukashenko's administration, despite officially having only an advisory role, but effectively being the number two, um, I think, you know, he has good chance, if there would be a position of vice president established, there would be a good chance that Victor uh, would become the vice president to ensure that uh, there is succession within the family before Mikolai uh, grows sufficiently old to take over in the future. Mm -hmm. so, but uh, obviously, you know, we're talking about about time which is really far away from now and... Uh, it's, it's completely unclear what's going to happen to Belarus or to Russia in the, say, 20-year perspective. And it depends on Lukashenko's health as well. But uh, look, uh, last thing, I mean, you mentioned Russia and the referendum that just went through, and uh, Putin now has put himself in a position where he can be uh, president through to 2036. Um, but there's a parallel to some extent here. Both countries have authoritarian leaders who are locked into power and hold all the levers. But at the same time, you've got this uh, middle class um, who have had an increasingly normal life and their standard of living is written to the point where I would argue that they're becoming increasingly interested in, uh, in politics to the extent that they want the government to provide the normal services, healthcare, pensions, education, um, these kind of things. And, and they're making demands. And in Russia, we're seeing a growing protest movement on civil issues. And the, and the Kremlin keeps caving in. And at the same time, Belarus is sort of looking across the border to its, its cousins in Russia and Ukraine um, and seeing their lives improve. And it seems to me the same sort of thing is going on in Belarus. Um, so you have this sort of general dissatisfaction with poor standard of of, of government and the um, and the authoritarian, arrogant, boorish in Lukashenko's case, m um, way of, of uh, running things. But this clash, I mean, 
it seems to me that, the, the, again, Putin and Lukashenko both have such a grip on power that there's not much that the, this, this growing political awareness of the people is going to be able to do to force change because the system's just not there to, to allow them to express it. Um, yes, probably you're right. Uh, I think what will be happening, uh, this is what you know we have observed in Russia after 2014, is that those people who are the most vocal critics would be pushed out of the country. A lot of middle-class urban Russians, particularly Moscovites and St. Petersburgers, chose to leave Russia after Bolotnaya and especially after Crimea, um, so after 2013-2014. Uh, the number of sort of uh, uh, middle-class Russians in their 20s and 30s and even 40s leaving for Europe or North America has increased in, 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 in quite sizable numbers in those years. Mm. And I think uh, if there is a crackdown in Belarus uh, uh, come August 2020, we're going to see a similar situation in Belarus where a lot of people, for instance, you know, those who work in the uh, in the very uh, growing and lucrative IT sector would choose to relocate elsewhere because, you know, they are footloose. They are not linked to physical location. They can work in IT sector uh, mm. based somewhere else, say Prague or Kiev or Riga or Vilnius. So why stick to Belarus, you know, if they feel that their political... Um, political um, uh, freedoms are so grossly violated. So I think the outcome of this will be, you know, further brain drain and a lot of younger people who want some change and feel that this change is not going to come under the leadership of Lukashenko, who doesn't want to, you know, to to leave uh, the, the office anytime soon. They would just choose to uh, change the country. Just to leave. Alex, uh, we have to stop there. We're out of time. Thank you very much for taking the time. It was very interesting. I really hope it doesn't come to violence in Minsk. and that you know. I hope so too. People. Okay, take care. All the best. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot.